Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Vessalatu vesselamu ala eşrefil enbiya'i vel mursalin. Seyyidina ve Mevlana Muhammedin ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ecmain. Esselamu aleykum ve rahmetullahi ve berekatuhu. Welcome back to the MISC Women class, Women on the Straight Path. I'm Um Abdullah. Ahlam ve sahlan. Lovely to be with you again on this Sunday, wherever you are, morning or evening. Inshallah, I hope everyone is well. And uh, inshallah, I look forward to what we have to present today, inshallah, as we will be coming a full circle uh, so far from what we've taken. So um, I'm really uh, looking forward to sharing that with you, inshallah, and you'll see what I mean at the end, inshallah. Uh, today we will be looking at the life of Sayyidah Asi bint Muzahim, who was the wife of Fir'aun, one of the Egyptian pharaohs and we will be looking at her example in the Quran and uh, with particular reference to Surah Al-Tahrim which was the chapter, the Surah that we looked at a little bit last week with regards to Sayyidah Maryam and we will be looking in more detail at the mention of uh, Sayyidah Asiya in that Surah and the other women in that Surah as well, inshallah. So we begin with Imam Haddad's intentions for learning and teaching. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Nawaitu tu'alama wa ta'alim wa tadhakura wa tadhkir wa nafa' wal intifa' wal ifada wal istifada wal hatha ala tamassuki bi kitabillahi wa sunnati rasulihi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa dua ila al-huda wa dalalata ala al-khayr ابتغاء وجه الله ومرضاته وكربه وثوابه سبحانه وتعالى In the name of Allah most gracious most merciful I intend to learn and teach to remember and remind to benefit myself and to benefit others to derive usefulness and extend it to others to encourage adherence to the book of Allah and the sunnah of his messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam to call to guidance and direct towards good seeking thereby the countenance, pleasure, proximity and reward of Allah, the absolutely transcendent and most exalted. Amin. May Allah accept our intentions, inshallah. Class etiquettes, women only, no recordings or screenshots and questions and comments at the end. So today's class, uh, we will be looking at the women in the story of Sayyidina Musa, salam, the Prophet Moses. And although we won't be going into detail in his particular story, inshallah, uh, we're going to be speaking specifically about the women in that story, and there are quite a few. Uh, we'll, then we'll be looking at Sayyidah Asi in the Quran, and specifically in uh, Surah Taha and Surah Al-Qasas, and then uh, looking at her again, as I mentioned, in Surah Al-Tahrim, and particularly with regards to fealty to the straight path. Okay, so the women in the story of Sayyidina Musa salam. So we have several. And first of all, we have uh, Musa's mother and his sister who feature uh, in the, like the muqaddimah or the, the introduction or the preview part to the story of Sayyidina Asiya. So they are extremely significant. Um, in the story, and they are mentioned twice in those two surahs that I said, Surah Taha and Al-Qasas. And we also have the wet nurses, okay, because they also feature, they're also women. And then we have the story of Sayyidah Asiya, and 
if we just skip down to the lower one, we see Musa's wife and her sister. So we also know that when uh, Nabi Musa left Egypt and he went to the lands of Madian, and it was there that he met his uh, wife and her sister who were at the watering hole with their flock and they were unable to uh, have their sheep or their animals watered because there were a lot of people there, it was busy and they were the only two females there um, because it was all male shepherds and Sayyidina Musa was uh, sitting under a tree and he saw that there were these two young women who were unable to tend to their flock and so he uh, approached them and he said that he would do it for them and he did and so they were grateful to him and they explained that uh, our father is an old man and he's not able to do it and it was their responsibility and so he attended uh, to their need and they left and then when they returned home back to their their camp or wherever they stayed they said to their father who was Nabi Shu'aib that said that it was him that they had uh, come across this this young man who was very strong and uh, one of them suggested that their father should hire him and that he would benefit them and obviously do all the work that was difficult for them to do and so he sent one of his daughters back uh, to call him and to invite him to come and meet him and so after Nabi Musa had uh, fulfilled that uh, watering of the, the livestock he'd sat again back under the tree and he'd made this dua and he said oh Allah um, I'm in need of any good that you give me and it was after that that the young woman approached and said oh my father invites you and wants to meet you and so of course the point of her in that story is the way that she walked back to their uh, living place with him and so what she did was uh, it says that she walked back with istihya with a, a shyness and she actually walked behind him and directed him the way to go by telling him go left go straight go right whatever um, and so that was how they got back to the camp so she didn't reveal herself to him and then once they had arrived back and Nabi Musa had spoken with Nabi Shu'aib and uh, then he would said to her you know he would like to hire him for a period of eight to ten years so eight and from his goodness if he wants to stay for ten then he would um, appreciate that too and so he agreed and then he also said that you know he would like him to marry one of his daughters and so he chose uh, one of them to marry so that's where his wife who traveled with him then back to Egypt when he got the revelation and was called to go back to deal with Pharaoh um, who's the Pharaoh the Pharaoh of this story and uh, she had had his children as well so that's his wife and her sister and how they feature in the story and before we go on to looking at our verses in the Quran and looking at the other women about Musa's family and his childhood I just want to mention this other woman who's mentioned here Mashita bint Firaun and she is a woman who is mentioned not in the Quran but she's mentioned in the Hadith and when the Prophet ﷺ had made his Isra and Mi'raj when he had been raised up um, that night of the uh, ascension and had gone beyond uh, the seven heavens and he was shown the hellfire and he was shown paradise and he was shown um, all the, the realities that are beyond our physical world at the moment on that glorious night of the 27th of Rajab, the Islamic month of Rajab. 
And when he was looking and at what was shown to him of the people of paradise, there was a very fragrant and delightful smell. And so he asked the angel Jibreel, salam, Gabriel, and he asked him, what, what is that smell? And so Jibreel salam, told him um, that that's the fragrance of Mashitat bint Fir'aun, of this woman who was the coma of the hair of Fir'aun's daughter. So Mashitat there is the name of the woman who combed the hair of the daughter of Fir'aun. Mashitat bin Fir'aun is not the name of Fir'aun's daughter. It's the coma of the daughter of Fir'aun. That's what the name means. Anyway, she had been um, combing this girl's hair when the comb slipped from her hand. And uh, she said, oh, Bismillah, in the name of Allah, Bismillah, when the comb slipped and she bent over and she picked it up. And Firon's daughter said to her, um, do you mean my father? Like, are you saying in the name of God because you're referring to my father, the Pharaoh? And uh, Mashitat said, Mashitat bin Firon said, I'm referring to my Lord and the Lord of your father, who is Allah. And the girl didn't like this and she went and told her father. And so uh, Fir'aun, her, her father, called Mashitat bin Fir'aun to come and explain herself. And he said, are you saying that there is another Lord other than me? And she said, yes, I'm saying that the, that the Rabb, the Lord, who is Allah, is my Lord and your Lord. And so Fir'aun didn't like this and he called for a big, like a huge pot or a vat of boiling oil made from copper. Uh, to be brought and she had a number of children this woman and so in order to uh, torment her and punish her and to force her to retract her statement um, what Firon did was he had each of these children on a like a raised platform above the oil and he had them uh, pushed into it one by one and so she still wouldn't retract her statement and then when it came to the end it was her and she had a breastfeeding baby and so uh, at that point she began to crumble and weaken because she just couldn't take having to fling her baby into this pot of oil and so the baby and this was the miracle the baby spoke and told her to be firm and steadfast and that her uh, reward would be paradise and that the punishment of this dunya of this lower realm is uh, nothing compared to that of the next life so uh, be strong and gather your heart and uh, and go and so then she went in with the child and so Jibreel said when the Prophet had smelt that fragrance that this is a fragrance of Mashidat bin Fir'aun and that's her story and uh, again we see here and in relation to our story of Sayyidah Maryam from last week that here was a child like a breastfeeding child who spoke from what they would call the cradle and there are actually usually three uh, babies who were known to have spoken so uh, Nabi Isa salam, the son of Mary who spoke uh, last week we went through that when he said inni abdullahi when he said i am the servant of god atani al kitab i was given the book and i was made a prophet and then um, also it said that in the story of sayyidina yusuf alayhi salam 
uh, when there was the, the evidence. So after Zuleika had tried to seduce him and he, he tried to leave and his shirt had been ripped. And so somebody had come forth and said, well, if it's ripped from the front, then you know that she's telling the truth and he's lying because he would have been in front of her and face to face with her. So obviously he had fallen for her seduction. But if his shirt is torn from the back, then you'll know that he was running away. And it said that the the person or the voice in that room was actually the voice of a child in its cradle. Um, so that was another one. And then the fourth one is uh, the, the child who spoke out on behalf of Juraj. And Juraj was a, a very, very pious worshipper of the Bani Israel, of the children of Israel. And um, there's a bit of a story, but basically he had been uh, tested with a woman who had tried to seduce him and he refused and she had ended up becoming pregnant by someone else and then claimed that uh, she was pregnant with the child of Juraj. And uh, when the child was born, then the child bore witness and said that he was the son of uh, so-and-so and not the son of Juraj. So that's how uh, Juraj's um, paternity issue had been sorted out then. Of course, they didn't have DNA tests like we do, but instead, uh, in his case, he had the child actually bear witness uh, for him from the cradle. So uh, there's some of those stories, and we'll leave those there for now, about Mashid had been Fir'aun and uh, Musa's wife and her sister. And we will go now to look at the story of Sayyidina Musa's mother and his sister and the wet nurses and Sayyida Asiya, inshallah. Okay, so Sayyida Asiya in the Quran. Okay, this is in Surah Taha. And uh, this, uh, this surah is uh, the 20th surah in the Quran. And it uh, mentions uh, the majority of it, the first half of it at least, so, so five or six pages, uh, has got to do with the story of Sayyidina Musa and when he was born uh, as we're about to go through and when he grew up in the house of the Fir'aun and um, unfortunately due to his strength which later became as we uh, just heard one of his um, qualities most sought after qualities because the daughter of Shu'ayb had mentioned to her father oh you should hire him because he's very strong so he was known to have had immense physical strength and that became an issue when he accidentally struck someone and they died. Then he was cast, or he ran away actually. He went to Median and he found, um, obviously there that we've just mentioned, and then he was sent back to deal with Fir'aun. So this, all this story and the consequences of that and what happened is in Surah Taha. And it's actually the story of Sayyidina Musa is mentioned the most frequently of any story in the Quran. It comes up all over the place. Um, subhanallah and he is the most mentioned prophet uh, in the whole Quran and in this section and in Surah Al-Qasas we have a bit more about his mother and his childhood so it begins with Bismillahirrahmanirrahim إِذْ أَوْحَيْنَا إِلَىٰ أُمِّكَ مَا يُوحَىٰ so it begins with talking about when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inspired your mother so Musa's mother with that which we inspired we being the divine we um, saying, So 
وَأَلْقَيْتُ عَلَيْكَ مَحَبَّةً مِنِّي لِتُسْنَعَ عَلَى عَيْنِي So the inspiration that she was given was to cast him, the baby, into the chest, into the little box and cast it into the river. And the river will throw it onto the bank and there will take him an enemy to me and an enemy to him. So the people of the house of Fir'aun would take him and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and I bestowed upon you love from me that you would be brought up under my eye. So why did Musa's mother throw him in the box, put him in the box and cast him onto the river? The reason why is because it said that Fir'aun, the Pharaoh, whose name was Walid ibn Mus'ab, that he had been told by one of the fortune tellers that there was going to rise up amongst the Bani Israel, the children of Israel, who were the enslaved population in Egypt at the time, that they would raise up from amongst them somebody who would be his enemy and kill him. So because he was such a, a tyrannical, narcissistic, paranoid um, psycho that he was, um, then of course that really upset him and got him petrified and he went about and every second year he had all the male babies of the Bani Israel killed and he called all the uh, midwives of the Bani Israel and he said to them that whenever a child is born, a male child, that you're responsible for killing it and if you don't then you will be killed. So this was the threat. So. There were many, many thousands of male babies who were killed. And then uh, in the, so one year they were killed, one year they weren't. And Sayyidina Musa happened to be born in the year in which the baby boys were sought out and killed. So when he was born, apparently he was born with such light and nur, divine light on his face. And that his mother, even though she had other children, there was something special about him and she was overcome with more love that a mother would have for her child because she could see that there was something in him and even the uh, midwife who was with her saw that too and so she wasn't able to go through with this terrible act of murdering this newborn baby and she left so she just pretended that she wasn't there and she disappeared and then what happened was the, the troops of Fir'aun would come around and they would check all the houses because they were working with the midwives and they would come in to make sure that these boy babies had actually been killed. So, um, so what happened was a midwife left and then the troops came in and Nabi Musa's mother uh, swaddled him and actually put him inside the oven to hide him. And this is called the tanur, which is like a, an oven in the ground, like in the earth. And so she put him in there and they came and they searched the house and turned it upside down and they couldn't find any sight of this baby or the midwife. So they guessed that he had been murdered or that she had taken him out and done whatever she had to do with him. They couldn't find him. And then when they left, the mother rushed back and she found him totally fine and laughing and gurgling and whatever there he was in the fire she took him out and it said that at that point that he was also blessed with what nabi ibrahim had been blessed with when nabi abraham had been cast into the fire by, by nimrod um, who was the tyrannical ruler of his time and the fire had been made cooled for him 
as he sat in there. And so in this case, it said that the fire had been called for this baby Musa and his mother took him out and she nursed him for 40 days, at which point uh, she, w she received this inspiration that she should put him in this little box and cast it onto the river. And it was extremely difficult for her to do that, but she realized that this was a, a divine command and that she had to do it. So she fed him well and she dressed him well and she put a lid on the box so that no water could splash in and drown him or anything like that. And so she went at night time um, to uh, put him there so no one would see what she was doing. And she said to his sister, as we saw last lesson as well, to follow him, uh, to follow this box even at night time and to see where it ended up. So the sister followed and it ended up being cast onto the bank, which was by the recreation area of the palaces of Fir'aun there on the Nile. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that it will be this box and this baby will be taken by an enemy of mine because Fir'aun was the biggest uh, tyrant. He was the most cruel and wicked and evil person ever. So of course that type of person is an, an enemy of Allah because they are everything that they shouldn't be. And so the, the, the household of Fir'aun would take this child um, to the house of the person who was an enemy to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that this child would be an enemy to him, to Fir'aun. And so it, he also says in this verse that I bestowed upon you love from me. So Allah took Nabi Musa, of course, under his divine care and raised him. So raised him to be a prophet, but in the house of uh, treachery and evil and uh, gross excessiveness, um, as we know from uh, Egyptian uh, historical excavations and archaeology, uh, the wealthy people live very excessive lifestyles. Um, particularly when death came and all their um, burial rituals etc. So he was going to be raised in this household with divine care. So what happened was the sister followed as we know and she uh, watched what was going on and the child was taken in and this child would not uh, suckle wouldn't nurse from any of the wet nurses and so several different women were brought in from the different tribes of the the children of Israel the Bani Israel and he wouldn't take to any of them and so finally the sister said that shall I direct you to someone who will be responsible for him so uh, they said yes because as we'll see in the next verses how Seda Asia had wanted to keep him and so she actually brought Nabi Musa's mother into the palaces and there she stayed for two years in order to uh, nurse her child and that's how the baby was restored to her so that she would be content and that she wouldn't grieve and so this also shows in the um, scholars of the Quran say that this is one of the strongest um, the strongest uh, pieces of evidence here to show the mercy that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has on the mother so not only is the mother herself the most merciful towards her own child, but that this divine mercy encompasses all mothers. So despite the difficulties and the late nights and the issues associated 
Uh, we should never feel that we are outside of this tremendous and all-encompassing and all-embracing mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for us um, as mothers and that it's always there. Then it goes on to say, and you killed someone, but we saved you from retaliation and tried you with a severe trial, which was the accidental killing of one of the Egyptians. And you remained some years among the people of Madian, which have, uh, we've just mentioned, and then you came here back to Egypt at the decreed time, O Moses. So that's when he had grown up and received this um, prophethood and this prophecy and was ordered to go back to Fir'aun and to advise him and correct him and try and bring him back to the straight path and to take the children of Israel. And of course, from there comes the, the crossing of the Red Sea and everything that happens after that. So these are now the eyes which are in Suratul Qasas. And again, there's a little bit of repetition here. Uh, but this is where um, Sayyidah Asiya comes in. And so it says again that we uh, were Musa, so we inspired to the mother of Moses an Arudi'ihi fa'ida khifti alayhi fa'alqihi fil yammi. So uh, suckle him, nurse him, but when you fear for him, cast him into the river and do not fear and do not grieve. So the Mufassirun, the uh, Quran scholars say that fear is a, um, a state of heart where a person is scared about something that is yet to happen. So that type of fear there has got to do with future events that are unknown. And grief or grieving has got to do with things that have already passed. So they're things that have happened. So here she's being told, do not fear about what will happen and do not grieve about what has happened and come to pass already. So indeed, we will return him to you and will make him one of the messengers. So here she's told that um, he's going to be one of the prophets, one of the messengers, one of those, because it says, uh, So he will be one of the, the Rusul, the Mursaleen, the Rusul, he will be a Rasul, which means not only will he be given a message, which makes him a Nabi, but he will be given the status of a Rasul because he will be ordered to um, convey that message. And of course, later on, he gets the commandments, the Torah, and um, on the top of the, the mountain, double tour. Now, there's an interesting fact here that I read, and it actually comes from a traditional medicine. And it said that this particular verse uh, which is, uh, oh, I didn't number them, I'm sorry. It's um, number seven in Surah Al-Qasas. That if there is a mother whose milk is a little bit weak or not flowing very well, then it's recommended that she read this verse often. And inshallah, that will help uh, bring an abundance of milk. And then another one of the remedies uh, for milk associated with this verse is for a woman to read this verse, first of all, over a little bunch of seven black raisins. So take seven and read the verse and then read this verse seven times over each of those seven raisins. And inshallah, if that is then fed to the nursing mother, then inshallah this will help increase her milk supply and make it of good quality. So this is just something I've read, inshallah it um, might work and if it's done with the right intention inshallah then 
it could have some results. So if anybody does that, I'd really be interested to know if it works, inshallah. So do let me know. So uh, Musa's mother is told that he will be returned and that he'll be one of the messengers. So this is huge glad tidings for her and that also helps her keep her heart firm. So then it said that the people of Pharaoh picked him up without realizing that he would become their enemy and a source of their sorrow and uh, Pharaoh and Haman who was his right hand man and their army was sinful people. And now Asiya comes in and she says, So she says to him, because she wants to keep this baby because she wasn't able to have a child herself. So she was uh, barren and this little baby comes and as we said, he had a light in his face. He had something about him which was unusual and it, it, it brought out love in people. And this is one of the qualities of the prophets. They have something about them inexplicable that draws people and attracts people to them. So it's an incredible radiant beauty and she recognized that because she was pure herself and so she saw that and so she pleaded with her uh, wicked husband to keep him even though he knew that this was a child of the Bani Israel and that he had wanted all these children killed and he didn't know how this child had not only not been killed but actually made it inside his very own palace and so she says that um, perhaps he will be a comfort of the eye for me and for you so she says do not kill him she's pleading with him perhaps he may benefit us or we may adopt him as a son and they perceive not and it's also said in another hadith from the Prophet with regards to this ayah that he had said that had Fir'aun agreed with her on this because when she said perhaps he will be uh, like a coolness of the eyes or a comfort of the eye and a joy for us he had said to her Laki wa li. so he said for you but not for me and the Prophet said that had he said yes for us or had he or had Fir'aun agreed with her then he would have been given guidance and the story would have been quite different but he didn't and so that was the sealing of his heart on disbelief and wretchedness and a lot of the scholars like when they talk about who are the best women you know what are the qualities that distinguish the best women what are the the differentiating features between them some of them have tried to list what were the the strengths of a lot of the women in our tradition and in our history and to look at it from the point of view of their particular um, skills and knowledge. So, for example, Sayyidah Aisha, anha, the Prophet wife, she's known for being the best woman with regards to her knowledge. And then Sayyidah Khadija, who we've looked at, she's known for her uh, support and the way in which uh, she funded the Prophet and the sacrifices that she made. So that's her distinguishing feature that makes her the best. And then Sayyidah Fatima, who we've looked at because of her um, closeness and proximity and resemblance to the Prophet, that makes her the best. So what, and say to Maryam, of course, because as we discussed last time, um, her, her rank, although it's debated, but her rank uh, as a prophet, and then it, even if she wasn't a prophet, she certainly had an extremely high 
spiritual rank. And then when it comes to Sayyidah Asiya, they look for uh, and they say, well, what is it that makes her one of these four best women? And uh, it's said that it's actually mentioned here in this particular ayah because it was sort of engraved or imprinted on her heart that she should accept this child as a prophet and that she was a, a believing woman and open to that despite the circumstances in which she found herself. So she was living in a time and married to one of the worst people ever in history but that didn't stop her uh, submitting to this pure state of her heart that she had been given and by living sincerely um, uh, to that. And so we see in Fir'aun that he, he uh, denied it and he said, oh, well, it might be a blessing or a, a comfort for you, but it won't be for me. So just as his heart was sealed on that, then her heart was also sealed on the fact that she knew and she believed and despite what she was going through and where she lived, that this is what she lived by. So that's what makes her, and this is really important for us in our time, because we live in a tyrannical time. So the tyranny that we're living in is, of course, this uh, secularism, atheism, uh, everything that we are living in at the moment, and this whole uh, agenda, ideological agendas, which are being forced on us and making us really... Uh, feel weak, there's a lot of hatred, etc. The type of society that we live in at the moment. So our example in Seda Asia is to take that um, pure heart and that sincerity and that siddhak, that truthfulness with which she believed despite her circumstances and to follow in her path on that, inshallah. So then it goes on and it says that وَأَصْبَحَ فُؤَادُ أُمِّ مُوسَى فَارِغًا so the heart of Musa, of mother, of uh, the mother of Musa, became empty from every thought except the thought of Musa. So she was distraught, okay, at his having been put on, put in the little box and sent across the river. And now the sister had discovered that he was actually in the palace of Pharaoh. And with this distressful state that she'd been in. Even though she had been told that you do not fear and do not grieve and he will be brought as a messenger. But of course she was his mother and uh, she knew she had to keep herself together. But it was extremely difficult because she was overcome um, with all the feelings about her son. And would they kill him and would I ever see him again and what would happen to him. So she was very close to disclosing her case when she was taken into the palace to uh, feed him. And she was so close to saying that this is my son, which would have been the undoing of all of them. They would have all been killed. But as Allah says that she would have done that, لَوْلَا أَنْ أَرَّبَطَنَا عَلَىٰ قَلْبِهَا لِتَكُونَ مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ So that would have been the case had we not strengthened and fastened and bonded her heart with faith so that she might remain as one of the believers and of course one of those who was steadfast. So she's brought into the palace. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, So here, to be a coolness to her eyes. So not only was he a coolness to Sayyidah Asiya when she saw this child brought in, but he was a coolness to her eyes. So this was a most delightful baby. And of course, he was going to grow up and be uh, the prophet for the children of, Is of uh, Israel, the Bani Israel, 
and uh, the bearer of their holy book, the Torah. So uh, he was returned to her so that her eyes would be comforted and wala tahsan and that her sorrows would be relieved and li wali ta'lama anna wa'adallahi haqqun walakinna aktharahum la ya'lamun and to let her know that the promise of God wa'adullahi the promise of Allah haqqun is true but many people do not know Okay, so here this is a moment of true faith that she experienced and tasted and, um, and this is what she had and this is the reality. So if only we had her faith, if only we had her strength of uh, tawakkul, of reliance of Allah and belief that what Allah says is true and that that promise will be fulfilled, then inshallah we could be similar to her in our state. But every time the doubts come in, and we think, oh, it can't be this, or it won't be that, or Allah won't help me, Allah won't give me my rizq, or we have any of this su'adhan, this bad opinion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then we just end up sabotaging ourselves. And uh, Musa's mother came very close to that, very, very close to sabotaging herself, but she remained steadfast and firm, and that's what benefited her. And then to finish that, وَلَمَا بَلْغَ أَشُدَّهُ وَاسْتَوَى so when he attained his full strength and was um, like mentally mature, so he had wisdom, he had hikmah, we bestowed uh, upon him that, the judgment and knowledge, and thus do we reward the doers of good. So he grew up in the house of his enemy, the very man he would go back to some years later and to call him away from what he was doing and to try and guide him. And he grew up on after his mother's milk, which kept him attached to his people and kept him attached to a pure source. But he also grew up on the customs, the food, the entertainment, the lifestyle, uh, the, the things that were going on inside the palace of the ruler. So he grew up, uh, I guess you could say, in the lap of luxury, but none of that corrupted him, uh, none of that led him astray and he remained uh, true and pure uh, because all this was in preparation for his mission. So when it comes to the end of Seda Asi, and we know that she died quite a brutal death at the hands of her husband, um, it's said that after Sayyidina Musa had left and come back uh, on his mission to deal with Fir'aun, and after he had uh, successfully um, one, I suppose, or overcome the magicians who had been gathered from all corners of the land and brought to try and outdo him with their magic and to show that he was nothing but a magician when in actual fact what he did were miracles from Allah and after those magicians realized that and they all fell down uh, prostrate and they said that we believe in the Lord of Musa and Harun, his brother, and they submitted to him and Fir'aun was obviously most upset about this and threatened to have them all crucified on the date palm trees and all the rest of it. So after uh, Nabi Musa had been victorious in this situation, then Sayyidah Asiya declared her belief in him. And uh, Fir'aun was so upset, but he, he did love her. And he gave her a couple of days to retract her statement and change her mind, and she didn't. 
And so after he pressed her again and he said, um, you know, do you believe and uh, what's this talk and everything? And she refused and she said that she believed in Allah. She only believed in Allah and that he was not God. Then he had her sent out to the hot sands of the desert and under the hot sun. And she was uh, laying on her back, laid on her back with all her limbs outstretched and uh, pinned down to the ground. So she was tied uh, with her arms and legs outstretched and she was left there to die on the boiling hot sand under the, the hot, hot sun. And it said that uh, when the, the, the keepers or those around her had done that and left her there, then the angels came and covered her with their wings and she survived and that stayed like that and they kept her during the night and looked after her and so after a few days these keepers came back and they saw that she wasn't dead and that she was actually okay and they couldn't work that out and so what they did was they ended up getting a large boulder and placing that on top of her and then eventually she perished um, in a most agonizing death out in the desert so that was her demise at the hands of her tyrannical husband and she is often considered to be an archetype for uh, for a woman who's in an abusive marriage or uh, a woman who is a victim of domestic violence and there is some sort of merit in that uh, but at the same time I mean for a while there I was kind of going along with this idea of archetypes and there being archetypal women in the Quran. And for example, Sayyidah Khadija, like the archetypal a businesswoman. Um, then we have Sayyidina Bilqis, who will come up inshallah. So she's sort of the archetypal female ruler. And then we have Sayyidah Asiya, who would be the archetypal abused wife. But I feel in a way that an archetype is more of a literary construction and that it has got more to do with the presentation of character types uh, rather than the actual lived experiences of believing people and believing women. And so I kind of feel that to put Seda Asia into that category is a bit reductionist. And so that's uh, why I sort of changed my mind on that. And I wouldn't put her in that category at all, even though she's certainly an example of somebody who did overcome that. And as we saw, this is her distinguishing feature and her quality that puts her amongst the best women because she, uh, she could overcome those difficulties and that terrible situation she was in and, and the tyranny of her husband. But to reduce her to an archetype might end up reducing her to a stereotype or a caricature and she's much more than that. And we will see that um, here in in this uh, Surah Al-Tahrim and uh, what I've sort of called fealty or um, fidelity or allegiance or devotion, loyalty or piety to the straight path and I think that's much more encompassing than to put her into the reductionist category um, of any particular archetype. Now we actually had these Ayat last week, if you look down at the end there, uh, where uh, Sayyidina Maryam is mentioned, the daughter of Imran, who guarded her chastity. So we, we looked at that in our study of her. And if we go back now to the top here, where we're given an example 
of uh, two women who are portrayed as a negative example and then the two women of the wife of Fir'aun who is Asiya and Sayyidah Maryam السلام, as being positive examples. So they come at the end of Surah Al-Tahrim which is a 66th uh, chapter in the Quran and it's a, a short chapter and it, it begins actually with the Prophet dealing with a particular marital issue that had happened between him and two of his wives. So we're not going to do like a full tafsir or explanation um, of the chapter, although I do suggest that you go and read that and perhaps uh, the tafsir of Ibn Kathir, um, which you can get online. Just look up tafsir Ibn Kathir and you will get a PDF of the um, abridged version of it and that will give you enough of the story. Uh, but basically there was a marital issue, there was something that had gone on and the Prophet والسلام, uh, had to deal with uh, something that he had said in private or in secret that one of the wives went and told one of the other wives after he had told her explicitly not to do that, um, not to tell anyone of this thing that he had said. So that was the issue there. And this whole um, surah, this whole chapter is really about the family and we have at the beginning the story of the two wives and then at the end here we have the wife of uh, Sayyidina Nabi Nuh, uh, Noah, the prophet Noah and the wife of Lut uh, who's called Lot and so we've got the two wives of the prophet mentioned not by name they're not mentioned by name but you can read who they were um, so we have them and this uh, prophetic uh, story with here now a comparison between these two wives and then we have Sayyidah Asi and Sayyidah Maryam. So some of the commentators have said that that in these two examples so of these four women here that we have with regards to the story that had happened with the Prophet um, that there is a lesson and an admonition for the wives of the Prophet and um, Ibn Atiyah, who is one of the great commentators on the Quran, he says that there's nothing far-fetched about looking at the great women who were married to the Prophet Muhammad and looking at the, these two, the wife of Nuh and the wife of Sayyidina uh, Nuh and Lut, um, and, and thinking that there is something which would lower the status of the wives of the Prophet by comparing them to these two women who betrayed their husbands in, in a much worse way than what the wives of the Prophet had done. And so it doesn't take away from their elevated status, but what it does is it calls one's attention and it, and, and it called their attention and directed them to that which would only increase them in honor and proximity to the Prophet so by bringing in these two betraying women with them that helps them understand themselves and what's happened and actually increases them um, not just in honor um, but also in proximity um, and in veneration with regards to their proximity to the prophet it increases um, them in his uh, obedience and in preserving his secrets and uh, hastening to do that which entails his love and good pleasure so whenever a person is counseled and advised, it's a sign that the person who does that loves them and cares for them and whoever is neglected, even though they may have done wrong, it's a sign that um, 
that they're not liked or wanted because they're left to their own devices and to potential destruction at their own hands. Now it's interesting that if we think about this event that happened in the household of the Prophet and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now um, counsels them and advises them with regards to these four women, two who are a negative example and two who are a positive example. And if we think about how far back these things happened, so they're being now counseled regarding the stories. First of all, the wife of Sayyidina Nuh. So this was the Nabi Nuh, Noah, the floods came. So this is about eight to 10,000 years before them. Okay, so already this story of the Prophet is 1400 years ago. So now we're going right back another sort of eight to 10,000 years. And then Sayyidina Lut and the people of Sodom, um, that's now about a couple more years, say that's around six to 8,000 years. And then we have Sayyidah Asiya, the time of Fir'aun, which would probably be um, 2,000 years before the Prophet, And then we had uh, Mary, Sayyidah Maryam, she was already about 600 years before. Okay, so we're going right back into ancient history here. And the wives of the Prophet, they're being taught a lesson by these women who came right um, many, many uh, millennia before them and what they're actually being taught through these stories is this fidelity and there's no question ever there was never an issue of marital infidelity it's nothing like that but the fidelity that we're talking about is a religious fidelity or a fidelity to the manhaj to this path to this way um, to what it is that religion and deen and tawheed and the oneness of Allah and worship and fulfilling the purpose for which you were created the way in which that is to be manifested and fulfilled so it's about having a fidelity to that and if we look at the example um, of the wife of Sayyidina Nuh and Sayyidina Lut that it says that Allah presents an example of those who disbelieved and specifically these two women they were under two of our righteous servants but betrayed them okay so they were insiders they were the wives of these two prophets and they betrayed them they didn't betray them in you know an adulterous sense but they betrayed their manhaj they betrayed their way they betrayed their values and their message and uh, the whole meaning of them being prophets so it says those two prophets who were their husbands did not avail them from Allah at all. And it was said, enter the fire with those who enter. So the fact that they were married to prophets didn't help them. And in fact, may even have made their case worse because they barely have an excuse or they don't have an excuse at all to have behaved the way that they did. But how did they betray them? So the wife of uh, Nur, alayhi salam, she was with those in the community that used to call him Majnoon, crazy, you know, that he was just this crazy old man who had this, um, you know, ridiculous idea of building a ship, a giant ark, and he was going to, um, you know, when they lived in a dry area, in a mountainous area, and that he was building this thing because Allah had given him uh, inspiration or revelation to do that. So they all laughed at him. And Nabi Nur had called his people to Tawheed to 
divine unity for 950 years and she was amongst those who mocked him who went out and who spoke badly about him to the people so she betrayed him in that sense by joining his enemies and joining those who spoke out against him so you could say about her and also about the wife of Sayyidina Lut that they were in what we would say now in our own vernacular for for the Kha'in for the person who betrays that they're a sellout so they were sellouts to their husbands and and more so because they were insider sellouts and they're the worst so not only those who have a little bit of an allegiance and then go sell out no these were right there in the heart of the whole matter and they went out so that's the type of betrayal that's being discussed here so in reference to the wives of the prophet um, they were also insiders and they didn't do even a whiff of anything close to this it was perhaps human frailty or human error or something that wasn't evil or contrived or anything like that but just just things that people fall into um, and uh, so now now they're sort of being shown but you know the being married to these prophets didn't help these women so you know do you think that just by being married to the prophet that you're suddenly going to be saved and everything no you're responsible for yourself and you're responsible for the decisions you make for the words that you say and for the way that you behave and that being married to a prophet is no guarantee and if we look at that for ourselves perhaps we come from a good family perhaps you know we have some scholars in our family genealogy or perhaps we have anything that we think that we could be proud of and that might somehow save us no it doesn't it doesn't matter what family you come from as Sayyida Asiya shows us too she came from the worst family but she managed to do better than most other women in the world except for three others and they're all there together um, why because she knew and she held on to her fidelity to her beliefs and what she knew to be pure and true despite being married to an enemy of God so what about these women who are married to prophets of God and they betray them so as for the son of Nabi Nuh as well, he also betrayed his father. And that's in um, uh, Surat Hud, where the story about when the rain began to fall and the ground and all the water under the earth came up and uh, Nabi Nuh had built this boat and he put the animals on and he called all the people, a very small group of people who believed. And as the water and this uh, in incredible storm and everything started to rise, and he saw his son in the water and he called out to him and he said so come join us get on the boat with us and the son said oh I'm gonna go to the mountain and it will save me and then so what came between them was a wave and the son was of those who was drowned and I always I always cry when I read that because subhanallah it's just so so distressing because this son is so close but he was a sellout to the, what his father was on and he thought that this mountain would save him from this water but that mountain was, uh, uh, was in submission to its Lord the rain is in submission, the mountain is in submission the everything is in submission except for him and his heart so he lost out and became of those who were drowned um, and the wife of Nabi Lutz 
السلام, of course she they were with the people of Sodom who were practicing um, deviant sexual practices and she had tried to get the guests of her husband to come and engage in those practices with the men um, right under his nose so right in his own household she had tried to call them to come out so she was a sellout in the sense that not only was she supporting those who were against her husband but that she was actively involved in uh, perpetuating and facilitating the, the, the sinful acts that they were engaged in um, and it, it, it's said and it's known that between that time and our own time there has never been a normalization of homosexual behavior so in all that time it's always existed of course and always been in different societies different places and times like it's there always there but this um, overt normalization of it has not actually existed since that particular time and his uh, wife was one of those who was instrumental in the normalization and the perpetuation of it so that is her betrayal of the message and what her husband who was a prophet was on and what he was calling to so whatever however they end up standing before Allah on the day of judgment they cannot make a claim that oh my husband was a prophet it's not going to help them because they betrayed them from the inside and then when we look here at the example of those who believe the wife of Fir'aun when she said um, very famously, إِذْ قَالَتْ رَبِّبَنِ لِي عِنْدَكَ بَيْتًا فِي الْجَنَّةِ وَنَجِّنِي مِنْ فِرْعَوْنَ وَعَمَلِهِ وَنَجِّنِي مِنَ الْقَوْمِ الظَّالِمِينَ And she said, O oh my Lord, build for me near you a house in paradise and save me from Fir'aun and his deeds and save me from the wrongdoing people. And it said that, that, that she called this out on her death. So she, she um, had made this sort of final claim, this final dua and this prayer and this supplication um, that Allah should build for her a house in paradise. And look at the house she'd come from. She'd come from the absolute ruler of the most uh, illustrious and magnificent and wealthy uh, kingdom, which was the, the, the Egyptian kingdom of, of the pharaohs. And yet all she wanted was a house in paradise because she knew that's the real house that's a real place to be and to be saved from uh, Fir'aun and his deeds which of course were nothing despite everything that it looked like what they had and we can see that now the fact that there's so much excavation and I mean they say something like only five or ten percent of ancient Egypt has actually been excavated and that there is the rest of it still there under the sand so inshallah there's a lot to be brought out and a lot of proof to show what it was that this incredible woman had not wanted and had rejected from her heart because she saw it as wrong and useless. Why? Because her heart had been so uh, cultivated and so imprinted with this love for Allah and for Tawheed, for the oneness of Allah and for what was with Allah in the next life. And then, um, of course, we looked at last week, the final verse there on Sayyidah Maryam salam. So when we look at this uh, particular chapter in the Quran, Surah Al-Tahrim, there are a number of points that we can get from that. There are some qualities that are mentioned. And this is in the fifth, uh, the fifth verse, where there are 
um, certain quality. So the Prophet والسلام, is, is given the choice of divorcing these two women if he wants to and that they would be replaced with azwaj and khayran min kunna so with women who are better than you and then certain uh, characteristics or qualities are listed muslimatin, mu'minatin, qanitatin, ta'ibatin, abidatin, sa'ihat so these are the qualities which are now mentioned and praised for being better than the qualities of uh, betrayal and disobedience that had been exemplified through a particular behavior. So uh, Muslimat, so submitting women, Mu'minat, believing women, Qanitat, devout and pious women, Ta'ibat, uh, repentant women, Abidat, worshipful women, Sa'ihat, women who fast. So these are the qualities that are venerated and mentioned. And it's interesting because it says here specifically tat, which is in the feminine plural form, which means um, pious and uh, devout women. And then we see the very last word here about, so about Sayyidina Maryam, and it says, so that's the Jamudakrasalim, which is the masculine plural. So in this particular verse, we have the same quality of de being devoutly obedient mentioned specifically in the uh, feminine plural and specifically in the masculine plural. And with regards to Sayyidina Maryam, it comes up in the masculine plural. So why would it be that the masculine plural is mentioned after her name? Because what we're talking about is a general uh, quality here, which is specific to neither men or women, but is general to all people. And that's uh, really interesting too, because it's not like only men or only women could have particular attribute of a devotion and obedience and piety, but um, rather that it's for a group, okay? And, and that's the, the group, the qualities of the believing uh, people. So it's kind of a little language thing. I mean, there's so much in this surah, subhanAllah, like I didn't really realize how rich um, this, this surah is, subhanAllah. Um, it's quite amazing. And then one of the other verses that's really significant is uh, number six, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhaladina amanu ku anfusakum. So all you who believe, protect yourselves wa ahlikum nara so protect yourselves and your family from the fire wa nasu wal hijara whose fuel is people and stones alayha malaikatun ghiladun shidadu it's very small so i'm reading of something really tiny here i might have read that wrong um so over it is angels who are really, really severe in their harshness. La Allah, and they don't disobey Allah, what he has ordered them. And they do what they have been commanded. Okay, so here this whole surah is about the family and about looking after the values of the family and protecting them from the things that would cast them ultimately into eternal uh, ruin the ayah number eight it says yeah amanu tubu ilallahi tawbatan nusuha asa rabbukum 
ayu kafir ankum sayyatikum ma yurakhilakum jannatin tajri min tahtiha al-anhar yawma la yukhsilahu an-nabiyya wa ladhina amanu ma'ahu nurun nuruhum yas'a bayna aydihim wa bi'aymanihim yaquluna rabbana atmim lana nurana wa aghfir lana innaka ala kulli shay'in qadir so all you who believe repent to Allah with sincere repentance perhaps your Lord will remove from you your misdeeds and admit you into gardens beneath which rivers flow on the day when Allah will not disgrace the Prophet and those who believed with him ma'ahu really important ma'ahu with him so what does that mean with him does that just mean the sahaba the companions of the prophet does that just mean the people there no it means those who have come after him and who are with him on his way who are with him on the straight path who do not betray him who do not sell him out who do not go and try and follow other ideas and other ideologies and make some nonsense up about oh islam's this and islam's that you know at the moment islam is just it's a it's a field day on islam anyone can come with anything they want and say whatever they want about our religion about our uh, scholarly tradition about our lifestyle our practice our beliefs the way we dress what we do anybody can come with any rubbish from anywhere Okay, and you'll find a lot of insiders doing that too. Unfortunately, a lot of Muslims who are misguided and who think they can make up stuff and read whatever they want into these sacred texts and into um, our beliefs and our tradition. And the thing, what this particular ayah mentions with regards to these women who are now mentioned immediately after this about betrayal is that on that day, Allah will not disgrace the Prophet and those who believed with him, ma'ahu. So their light will proceed before them. This is the meaning of the verse. And on their right they will say, sorry, their light will proceed before them and on their right, so on their right hand side, and they will say, Our Lord, at mimlana, perfect for us our light and forgive us. Indeed, you are over all things powerful. So what are the things then? that we're a sellout to okay what what do we sell out our deen what do we betray this uh this religion with and we need to ask ourselves that and see where are where's our fidelity where's our fealty where's our uh, devotion and obedience to what and who and when and why and how will that benefit us ultimately in this life and in the next life so these are things that we can take from this story and inshallah these are what we get from Sayyidah Asiya particularly may Allah give her uh, an increasingly higher rank in, in paradise and may we really take her as a role model because she lived in the worst time with the worst people and she came through that the very very best and she wasn't a sellout and she didn't give in to the, the, their religion, the religion of the, the pharaohs and of the people she didn't give in to the talk of the priests and the life after death and uh, all the things that, that they had thought was their particular belief system, but rather she stuck firm and true to what she knew was the correct way. So here we come now finally to the full circle that I mentioned at the beginning. 
And if you remember when we started, we looked at three prophetic diagrams, um, which are part of the prophetic educational methodology. So if we look at the lower one, first of all, we see these four lines, which uh, the Prophet had drawn these four lines and asked his companions, do you know what this is? And, and they didn't know. And he said, these are the best women in paradise, said Khadija, um, Khadija bin Khawarid, Fatima bin Muhammad, uh, Maryam bin Imran, and Asiya bin Muzahim. So these were the four lines. And then the middle one there is the very first hadith that we looked at that I always talk about, um, that being the straight path. The Prophet ﷺ drew a straight line in the ground and then he drew lines on either side of it. And he said, this is the straight path and this on the side is the other paths upon which there is a shaitan calling towards it. And then if you actually put those two images together, you'll get the top one. Okay, and that is actually our third image that we looked at which is that the life uh, time of the human being is contained within that square and that the, there's the path, the life that the person is living with the, their own hopes that extend beyond what will be their actual designated lifespan and that those horizontal lines in this case indicate the events that that person will encounter in their life. So this will happen and then they'll go on to the next thing and the next thing which has all been written for them and that's their destiny and that the green line coming out the top represents their hopes and their dreams and their aspirations and all the things that won't be realized because that will all be cut off by death when it comes and once it comes it comes and everything that you'd hoped or wanted or thought you were living for in your life will not come to fruition because death will have destroyed that for you so we need to make sure that what we do every single day is enabling us to make the best of that and that we don't have these high hopes these long hopes they're called um, oh I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and you know have dreams and aspirations and things but be realistic and work towards those things with a proper foothold on the straight path with proper intentions with sound guidance and in the way that is most beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then when death does come inshallah that's what we've done we're going to be taken to account for and what it was that we'd hoped for uh, beyond that won't have any relevance so we need to um, understand that these um, particular representations here uh, are imbued with meaning and inshallah uh, if we can remember these it will help us to understand and it's a nice insight here my, actually my husband came up with this um, and uh, we can see how these three pictures all come together and uh, surrounding that the blue box is the women and I think that's really nice too because it shows also the central place that women have and the importance that we have um, in the lives, not just for ourselves, but for those around us. So also when we look at those hopes, then, you know, we have to think, well, what is it that we're hoping for in this world? And are we all hoping for a better world? Well, yes, we are. Of course, we're hoping for a better world and we're hoping for terrible things to stop and for um, things going on, you know, genocide and ethnic cleansing and poverty and um, natural disasters, all these things we, we all hope and, and we all want those things to stop but what are we basing our hopes on and what ideas are we following thinking that we're going to achieve those hopes and achieve those big goals that we have 
So are we taking our ideas from outside of our deen? Are we thinking that somehow there's an idea out there which is going to bring about some type of change or equality that we're seeking? Um, do we think that you know someone other than what we have in, in our book, in the Quran and in the Sunnah, in the way of the Prophet ﷺ is going to benefit us more than that? So these are questions that we need to ask ourselves and to pull ourselves up on if we find ourselves moving away from the straight path and finding ourselves more inclined to ideas that don't come from our tradition and that will not benefit us either in this dunya or the akhirah, inshallah. Wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sallam. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.